Welcome to the Better You Movement Podcast. My name is Brady Kurtz, and as a current doctor of physical therapy student and performance coach, my goal on this show is to give you insights into the worlds of fitness and physical therapy. On this podcast, you're going to hear from students in healthcare and professionals in the academic, physical therapy, and fitness industries. We're going to see how these disciplines work together to help you optimize movement, mindset, and take control of your life. All right, guys, welcome back to the Better You Movement uh, podcast, guys. I'm really excited for our episode today. We have Alan Fredenal on uh, on the show. He is the COO of ICE, uh, which is the Institute of Clinical Excellence. You can find them on Instagram uh, and all their other social medias at ICE Physio. Uh, he's also the owner of Health HQ uh, and a level uh, level three co- CrossFit coach as well at uh, CrossFit Fenton. Uh, so without further ado, Alan, how are you doing today, man? Good. How are you, Brady? Thanks for having me on. Hey, absolutely. I've, I've been really excited to uh, to, to bring you on the show. I am an avid follower of everything you guys do over at ICE, which is also what led me to, um, you know, seeing what you do at, at Health HQ and also an awesome CrossFit gym and CrossFit Fenton. So everything that you're doing, you know, I, I see um, very much as, as, as what I'm interested, you know, in, in my career, which is really kind of what, what drew me to you and, and kind of the rest of the ICE faculty. Um, so I do want to, you know, dive into uh, some of those topics today. Uh, but first, can, I generally just like to ask, you know, what got you, what got you into to physical therapy? What brought you into the field? Um, and, and what did that kind of journey look like for you? It, uh, it's a great question. Um, it's kind of a roundabout journey. I, uh, I started undergrad uh, as a health or not a health, sorry, history teaching major. Um, and then I didn't like that. And I went into accounting and I really didn't like that. So I dropped out of school completely and joined the army for eight years. Um, and throughout my, my time in the army, I got, um, familiar with physical therapy, um, just kind of running into musculoskeletal injuries in the military. Um, and I never thought that I would do that as a career, but I always, um, thought it was cool of like, these people basically have a job of, working out with people and, and getting them back to, to moving and, and sometimes helping people move for the first time. And especially like, uh, the, the prosthetic part of it, of, um, the folks who had really serious injuries who needed to basically become adaptive athletes. Um, so I finished with the army and, and went back to school for exercise science. And I worked as a physiologist for a while and, and cardiac rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I observed at the, the VA here in Michigan and Ann Arbor, and just the, the complexity of all the physical therapy patients, plus the exercise aspect made me think like, I, I think I could do this for a job. This seems like something that I can make a career out of. So then I applied to, to physical therapy school and, and started PT school um, a couple of years after um, finishing undergrad. Yeah. That's awesome. so it's like a 15 year process. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, don't rec- I don't recommend that. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, I mean, I guess, everything you guys do at ice, you know, you guys are, you guys are very adamant and, and really are, uh, you know, are, are making a fitness for generation of physical therapists, people who have this really active approach to health. And I know you kind of mentioned in there, you know, how important was it for you as you were going through school, as you were coming out of school, um, how, how important was it to you to kind of, did you see that bigger picture at the time? That's a great question. The answer to that is, Yes and no. Um, yes, I was kind of aware, especially as I finished my first year and I was starting to follow different researchers and clinicians on social media and kind of seeing what they were doing um, and then getting introduced to Jeff Moore, who's our CEO, my second year of school. 
I was aware that like what, what their practice looked like and what we were learning in school was very different, but especially my first year of school, I had no idea. I was lost in the, the super narrow lens of each individual class. And I, I didn't know the big picture and we didn't really address lifestyle and, and bigger picture concepts uh, of diet and nutrition and sleep. Um, it was all, you know, studying for the next exam of what's the difference between a, a grade three and a grade four mobilization and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. like kind of the really, really minute stuff. And I think that stuff is important because that stuff is on the board exam and uh, you can't, you can't change anybody's life if you don't get a license. So I think that stuff is important because it's, it's getting you ready for, for the board exam. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, there's something to be desired in school um, of what, practice looks like for most physical therapists. And I think it's that, that fitness forward aspect. It's that lifestyle intervention aspect. Yeah. Well, and I, I completely agree. I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you can, and I've actually seen plenty of different programs that structure these uh, structure their curriculum uh, in, in, in different ways. So there are, there are a lot of different approaches that, uh, that schools take. I feel very fortunate because my program uh, does a really good job of preparing us for the board exam. And we have fantastic faculty. We have really high and strong performance rates on the board exam. And, and I, I, but I realize, you know, it's a process of I mean, a lot of students that are going to physical therapy school. Like, a lot of us are, are very type A people that are high performance on, uh, you know, that love taking tests, love being told what their, what their score was, their performance was and talking about it with friends. So, you know, in that sense, uh, you know, physical therapy school, if you're, if what you're goal is, is constantly striving for like validation of that external, you got an A on this, you did good on this. It's like that can carry you all the way up to the board exam. And then there's this, this kind of drop off where you're like, all right, well, what's next? Because anything I do forward from here, I mean, I can go take another, you know, specialty board exam, but beyond that, like we don't get that instant, um, you know, you don't get a score like for how you, how you treat patients, right? You don't get a, a, an objective measure of, of how well you did or, and, and so I think that there's this, this kind of disconnect that I've, I've talked to with students and even new clinicians where they're like, yeah, it's a lot different than what I experienced in school when I, where I feel like I was really excelling or I, I, I felt like I was able to quantify my performance. And then I realized that I actually had to figure out like, who am I? Like, who am I as a clinician? What are my, you know, values or what are the things that I think move the needle the most for my patients? And, and then ultimately I've had those conversations where people have said like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I realized that coming out of school, there were probably a lot of things that I could have been doing in school to not make me so overwhelmed as a, as a new grad or, um, have a little bit more direction with what I, you know, where I want to go. So I, I, I don't know, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, just to kind of get into ice, because this is, this is what you do. Like, this is what you uh, help people with. And, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about why ice was formed and what the kind of the vision of the Institute of, of Clinical Excellence uh, is? Yeah, I will. I want to step back. You said something really important there of like not getting too overwhelmed in school of what's going on in practice. And I think there's, there's certainly a lot of truth to that of, you can really overload yourself in school if you start to take a lot of continuing education courses and you, you start to focus on a lot of practice-based stuff while you're still learning the fundamentals. So I think the biggest advice I give to students is to find that balance is just because you're in school doesn't mean you can't keep doing observation hours. We, we all have to do those observation hours to get into school and kind of when we get into school, 
um, most of us are like, great, we're done with that. Like we, we checked that box and yeah. we, we got in. So I never have to do that again. But if there's someone in your area where you're thinking, you know, I want to practice how that person practices, or I just want to, you know, I follow them on social media. I want to see how they practice. Don't be afraid. You know, we had a lot of like Friday afternoons that were empty in school to see if you can buzz over there for an hour or two and, and watch them treat a few patients. And there's, there's a lot of value in that. That's not going to overload you like committing to, yeah, a bunch of outside team education um, or other things like that while you could still keep your focus on school and, and, and make it through school. Yeah. Well, and, and too, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think I was probably pushing a lot more towards that idea of like, man, like what can we, what other things can we do in school? Because, but I don't think, yeah, I specifically on like continuing education courses, things that I'm, that you're really focusing on, 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 concepts and things that it might be more, you know, down the line, advanced practice type of things. I, I agree. I completely agree that like, I mean, if you can just get really, really good at the fundamentals, which is what I'm trying to do right now, right. Is, is, I mean, that's, that probably for most of us is going to make the biggest difference. Um, and I don't know how a lot of programs are structured different, differently. We have some clinicals like while we're in, you know, our first few years and then our, we back end um, all of our kind of long-term clinicals. Um, but I finally have been in the same clinic for an entire semester and I'm there for, you know, four to five hours, you know, at a time. And I'm finally starting to get to the point where I'm feeling comfortable, you know, able to, you know, doing, doing multiple evals a day and, and, you know, really working one-on-one with my patients. And, and I would say, yeah, it's a lot of that is the, uh, is the communication side of things, the uh, being really clear on things like how we are conveying our message. Are we, uh, you know, a lot of those things are obviously what really make a difference, you know, as a foundation. So I appreciate you, you saying that because I think it is possible um, to kind of get bogged down in, in like, what else can, can we be doing? Right. But, um, but yeah, so can you talk a little bit about a bit about ice and, and why you guys started that? Yeah. So we started, uh, actually way back in, in 2012, our, our CEO, Jeff Moore, um, kind of saw a need for a, a different style of physical therapy, um, a style of physical therapy that's really data driven, um, that really focuses on making sure we're capturing, even the smallest changes um, that we, we test things in our eval and, and we recapture them and retest them in our reassessment and kind of work with the patient to prove to the patient um, and to ourselves that they, that they are getting better. So we, we follow something called the symptom behavior model. Every patient, the first thing they do when they come in the door is they get reassessed. They don't jump on the bike. They don't get go hit the pulleys. We reassess them we're remeasuring subjective and objective asterisk signs. We're, we're making sure that we're actually making progress so that patients have high quality physical therapy, that they know they're getting better or not, um, so that we can either change directions on treatment or maybe even that is the rare case when, when the patient needs a referral to a different provider. So being really, really diligent with the most basic of things of, of that evaluation and that reassessment every visit. And then really what we call kind of a fitness forward manual therapy skilled, psychologically informed style of practice that What's wrong with the majority of patients, the majority of the time is that they're not moving enough for whatever reason. They don't move at all, period, or they can't move because of their injury. And that's leading to a number of different problems that, yes, manual therapy treatment tends to be short term, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have any value, especially if the patient has a high expectation that it's going to help them. And being psychologically formed, being able to really comfortably treat patients with persistent pain. And being able to sit down and talk about all the other levers we can pull with a patient besides using our hands and using exercise, talking about diet and nutrition and de-stress tools like meditation and uh, sleep tools really dial in and make sure people are getting sleep 
and all the other things that a person does in their life outside of the one hour, a couple times a week that they come to physical therapy. So that that's our main goal is to get clinicians really comfortable with that stuff, with, with loading people up, um, with thrust and non-thrust manipulation to the spine and extremities and really comfortable working with patients with persistent pain, understanding kind of the education aspect uh, of our treatment with patients um, as they're sitting in that treatment room, whether we're using our hands or exercising, that we can talk about stress, we can talk about diet, we can talk about sleep. And in most states, that's well within our scope of practice. And it's just not something that not only physical therapists aren't addressing, but most healthcare providers aren't addressing with their patients. Um, and that goes a long way to help people get significantly better. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I want to uh, ask kind of to you to expand on or your thoughts on actually something you guys posted recently. Um, but just, just to dive into to this just a little bit more, can you tell us a little bit about like, can you talk about a few of the courses that you offer? So kind of, you know, what, what realms are you treating? Cause I know you talked about more of the specific, uh, you know, uh, management of spine, you know, cervical spine extremity. Um, but can you talk about some of your more focused courses and, and, and what those look like? Absolutely. Yeah. We have, um, divisions of courses. So we have a uh, spine management division, cervical spine management, lumbar spine management, total spine thrust manipulation, um, cervical and lumbar spine are going to cover everything about the management of that region. Um, in cervical spine, you're going to learn thrust and non-thrust manipulation to the neck. You're going to learn how to exercise the neck. Um, you're going to learn, um, a lot about headache and migraine and lumbar spine management. You're going to learn a lot of thoracolumbar lumbar and, and lumbar manipulation and non-thrust manipulation. You're going to learn how to exercise the low back. You're going to learn about the benefits of things like the deadlift and reverse hyperextension. And same thing, you're going to dig deep into the weeds on nutrition and sleep and stress and all those things that, that kind of help neck and back pain and headache. Total spine thrust is a fun course. There's, there's still some lecture there, but it's really about getting a lot of reps with um, not a lot of techniques, a select few techniques for kind of each region. And then we have an extremity division that's not the spine. It's the, the shoulder, elbow, wrist, and hand. Uh, it's the hip, the knee, and the, the ankle and the foot, kind of the same principle, but it's covering the extremities instead of the spine. Yeah. That course is very exercise-based. That course is uh, especially exercise-based as it relates to the tendinopathies that tend to show up in those joints, how we treat tendinopathies, um, the best exercises and exercise progressions we think that exist for, for loading those regions, especially in a time-sensitive manner in the clinic. Um, and then we have an older adult division. So older adults comprise the majority of the population, which means they're going to be the majority of the patients we see, mm -hmm. even if we want to be super cool in the CrossFit gym and, and treating younger, more active folks, the truth is we're going to end up probably seeing a lot of older adults. So getting really comfortable working with older adults, they're not scary old people made of glass. They're, they're resilient. We can have them using the assault bike and swinging kettlebells too. A lot of fun ways to work on their balance, incorporating dance and a lot of different cool balance things besides just standing on a foam pad, staring at the wall. Right. Uh, we have a, a management of the fitness athlete division, which works specifically on the CrossFit athlete, the power lifter, the Olympic weight lifter, the active individual. Um, that's a course, uh, courses that I teach. Um, so that's all about being in the gym and working with those athletes. It's about learning the foundational barbell lifts, the foundational movements in CrossFit, the pull up, the overhead squat, the deadlift, the press, the clean, the snatch. And then really about, what we see go wrong in that population, common uh, pain points and, and how to treat them and how to start to do workshops and stuff like that to gather patients from that population. Um, and then we have in that same division, some pregnancy and postpartum courses. So yeah. dealing with the same population, but 
specifically with the pregnant and the postpartum mom and all the, the issues that arise from there and intervening in that area. Um, and then we have a, a course series on persistent pain, a course series on primary care, physical therapy. So a lot of folks, more and more folks are treating direct access. So how to be really diligent and make sure that if the first person uh, a patient is seeing is you, that you're, you're doing your due diligence um, and treating that person like a primary care health provider. So yeah. we have a number of different courses um, that basically comprise the entire human across the entire age span from can't get up from a chair to I have pain with bar muscle ups and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Sorry, I didn't mean to you know make you dive into every single one of those there, but I think it is really cool um, and important to kind of highlight the conversations that I have so, so many times now with, with students that are, you know, in their second or third years and, and are really starting to hone in and saying, you know, I want to be a, and, you know, for maybe our purposes, we say someone who's, you know, I want to be an orthopedic PT. I want to, and I want to treat, and I, I like that you said, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, wants to, you know, have that sexy job where you're working with the the high level, you know, CrossFit athletes or your sports or whatever. And, and, you know, obviously that has its place. And, and the more you specialize, the more you may be able to treat, you know, more of that population, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we're at, I love that you, your older adult division, I think that is, is awesome. That, that looks like an amazing course and, and truly to be really comfortable and confident that, you know, that to be comfort, to be comfortable and confident, you know, loading older adults and, and, and not, you know, seeing them as, as frail, fragile, can't do any, I mean, some of the, the, the best experiences of I, I've had, uh, both in the clinic and the CrossFit gym have been working with people 60 plus. I mean, they're, they are, you know, some of the, uh, most badass people that I work with because you just, they, uh, are consistently defying what, what are like, you know, I feel like societal expectations are of, of what they can and can't do. So I really, really enjoy, um, you know, seeing all those different types of populations, but you know, the, the conversation I have, I, I have with students and, you know, peers of mine are that, you know, I feel like I, I didn't do enough prior to coming to physical therapy school. Now that I'm in physical therapy school and we're, you know, applying to specific, you know, internships that, that want this level of experience or, or the jobs that I'm looking at, you know, also want a background in strength and conditioning ATs, you know, ATs always seem to have a leg up because they go get their, you know, undergrad or their master's and then go to physical therapy school. So they have kind of that, you know, that, um, experience, you know, working directly with, with athletes and, you know, the question always becomes like, like, I feel like what I did was too late. Like, I feel like I'm too late. And, and in some ways, you know, like, obviously the, what is it the saying that the best, the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. And the second best time is like today, or, you know, like, obviously, you know, in some ways, like, yeah, I mean, it would have been better if we would have started this process earlier and it's, and kudos to, to students and, and people who are, are looking, you know, have that foresight to say, what can I be doing now? Um, you know, to help myself, you know, but, but there's also never a better time to start than today. And I think, uh, a lot of us think that, you know, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen, what I would need to do is some monumental step to, and it's like, well, a lot of it is just, it's saying yes to opportunities. Like what are, you know, so I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of about, um, you know, maybe what's, what are some like tangible things that a student who is, um, you know, would be someone that would honestly be interested in working with ice. So has this kind of idea that they want to work in the orthopedic setting. I feel like this active fitness forward approach, uh, to, to care is really fits, you know, how I want to practice. 
Um, and, and I don't really like, what are the next steps that I could be doing? That's maybe not going way too outside of my depth as a, as a student, but things that I can be doing right now, um, you know, to, to prepare myself for the next few years. It's, it, I would say it's never too late to get started. I think the most humbling part of what we do is when we show up to courses and we have therapists who walk in who say, I've been practicing for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And who come up to us at the end of the first day or the second day and say, I think I've been doing it wrong my entire career, but I'm super excited that I found you all because I think uh, I can help my patients get even better than they already were. And that's, that's so humbling um, that the people that have the never stop learning mindset of it, it's, it's never too late to get started. You're, you're not behind forever. If you have an open mind, if you think are always thinking, what else could I be doing to help my patients get better? Um, and you, you seek out additional training or experiences that, that you can incorporate into practice, then you're, you're going to be a fantastic physical therapist. I think, uh, especially if you want to get into orthopedics and work with a more athletic patient, I think the, the best thing you can do, yes, you can take courses. We would love for you to take our courses. I obviously have a bias. Um, but I think the best thing you can do is get involved in whatever sport that is. If you, if you want to treat the runner, it probably behooves you to, to, run and know what running feels like and what common injuries the runner encounters, maybe even what those injuries feel like yourself and, and how you rehab them. And you can share that experience with those patients and just get involved in those communities. Getting in front of people is, is so important. We often just sit in our clinics and wait for that fax machine to come by with a referral for three times a week for four weeks when we could be out in a running club, we could be in the gym working out with people. Um, and when they say, Ooh, my shoulder or my knee or my calf, you're like, you know, um, try these couple things. And, and by the way, if that, if that doesn't get better over the next couple of weeks, I'm, you know, a couple blocks down, um, we'd love to have you come into the clinic. So it, it goes a long way to, to lead by example and lead from the front and be in those populations and doing the things, um, with those populations that you want to treat. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, kind of to, to, uh, you know, piggyback on that. And I, I know this was kind of where I, uh, I really got this idea for this episode. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I had these conversations as a, you know, peer to peer with some of my, my classmates and, and other people that I've, I've, you know, met on social media and stuff that are like, uh, you know, where we, where we have these conversations. Um, and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's awesome that you're doing that, man. Like, I, I know I, I post a lot about, you know, kind of what I do from more of a coaching standpoint, I try not to step too far outside of, of my, you know, scope of, of where I'm at, you know, in my career, I'm, I, I am a coach. I do work with, uh, you know, and, you know, more on the sports side. And I also work in, in the CrossFit setting as well. Uh, and, and so I try to generally keep what I talk about, you know, more on that side, because that's where I'm at. So a lot of people know that I'm working in a gym and I, I get that question a lot. And I would say that, you know, personally, anecdotally it, you know, being, being a, a, a CrossFit coach and, you know, getting my L1 and my L2, um, I'm, taking my L3 soon. So I'm excited for that. Um, but you know, or, you know, even just studying for the CSCS, like doing those things. I mean, it, it wasn't the, it wasn't the certification itself that all of a sudden like took, 
me to the next level. I mean, absolutely not. Actually, my L1 was really the best thing that came out of it was it finally, you know, allowed me to get in front of people as a certified or not a certified, but as someone with a, a CFL1, it finally let me get in front of people to realize that, man, I'm a, I might know something about movement, but I'm a terrible communicator. Like I have no yeah. idea how to get these people to do what I want. And I'm out here talking about like the, the specific stimulus of this workout and how we should. And, and I realize I'm like, wow, I'm completely missing the point i'm a worst i'm a worst communicator now that i have this information in my brain because i'm just like spitting out you know jargon that that no one really cares about right like people show up to the gym to you know let things go and just be able to to work out and have a great time and 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 you start to realize that and you realize how much more so i think those those are the kind of the opportunities that like yes it allowed me to to be able to diagnose movement i could see where you know uh mechanically you know we're losing a little bit of efficiency here and like you know the that's all great. And, and absolutely. I think it does translate to what we, uh, what we, what I, what I thought I was going to be, you know, doing as a PT, but a lot of it was, man, I got to work with so many different, uh, kinds of people with so many different goals, you know, and, and I think in the, in the, especially in, you know, in the CrossFit space, uh, there can be a tendency to, you know, rip the shirt off and just get after it and think that that's what we're all there for. And, and I've worked, I've had that really the opportunity to work in two, two different gyms where, where that's not the goal. That's not the goal of like 95% of the people there. So you really get to, to learn about the person and you realize how, you know, transferable that is to like, you know, everything that we do is based on that person's, you know, goal, what is going to be meaningful for them and what do they want to get out of this? So, um, you know, just that act of, of when I tell people like, dude, you should, you should look at going in, not just shadowing at a, at a PT clinic, but like, go, go shadow, you know, strength coach, go, go to a CrossFit gym, go work with someone who's working with a bunch of soccer athletes. If like, that's what you want to do. Um, because you're going to get things out of it that probably has nothing to do with like your clinical skills, but it's going to be your people skills. And that was the number one thing that I felt like I had a really strong foundation coming into school with. And it was not the thing I was, I was worrying about when we take the, you know, these practical exams, I wasn't worried about how to talk to someone, uh, relate to someone and, and listen. So, um, you know, I, I think that that is a, that's a huge part of it, you know, as well. And I think the reps are the most important part, uh, getting reps in whatever you want to do that, that accounts for infinitely more than you can get from a book or, or a course mm-hmm. of if you're in the gym and you want to work with athletes that are squatting every day, there's no place to look at a whole bunch of squatting like the gym. You know, you watch more people squat during a back squat day in the gym than you will in a month or three months in the clinic as a physical therapist. Cause you're mm-hmm. often working with people one-on-one versus, you know, like a CrossFit class, you might watch 20 people squat every hour for eight hours. You've watched hundreds of reps in a day right. that might take you three months in the clinic to watch that many people squat. So you, you get a lot better with your cueing. Um, you get more out of what you want with your patients. You don't spend as much time over cueing them, not getting the result you wanted them feeling frustrated. Like they, they leave the clinic, like they didn't, they didn't make you happy because you didn't get the the movement result you wanted that day. And the the more efficient you can get in the clinic, the more you can pack into that hour, the more the patient leaves with a good experience of like, wow, we deadlifted. I left sweaty from that stupid assault bike thing. Um, I got a better idea of how much protein I should be eating. Like that was an amazing hour. I can't wait to go back, which is 
not the feeling that a lot of people have when they leave their physical therapy appointment. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And there is one, there's, this is the thing I wanted to, to touch on earlier and I kind of forgot. Um, and I'm trying to look it up because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be able to read it correctly, but I can't, I'm not seeing it right here. Anyway, it was, it was on, on ice physio on your guys' Instagram account. And I thought it was the coolest, coolest study ever. Um, where, you know, they were talking about, it was talking about, uh, the effect of physical therapist's belief on communication to patient and how, and, and so I think I, as, as I'd already kind of, you know, uh, had an idea of what I wanted to talk about here. I thought it, it was so, that was, uh, uh, that was a reel we posted last week or the week before about physical therapist beliefs about their back pain influences yeah. patients beliefs about their, their back, their back and their back pain. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to know if, if you could just touch on it just a little bit, um, just from the, you know, I mean, we've already kind of talked about it, but like that, that to me is like one of the most tangible, uh, ideas of, 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 you know, when we say leading from the front, I mean, like you have to, you have to live what you preach and I guess you don't have to, but what, what difference does that make? And why, you know, if, if we're working with patients every day, if we're tr getting people to that point, like, and that, if that's the population we're working with, like how important is that to, to truly live that out, you know, day in and day out? I think it's, a, I, you know, I wouldn't say it's the ultimate thing you can do as a physical therapist, but I would say it's a very significant part of being a physical therapist of mm -hmm. if you're an active person, if you're really strong and robust, um, you know, the capabilities of the body. If you are an active person that's strong and robust, you've probably encountered some injuries here and there. And kind of the longer you've been doing it, um, statistically, it's unlikely that you'll, you'll be hundred percent injury free. So you're likely to encounter some injuries. Mm -hmm. And if you rehab those yourself, um, and you avoid surgery and pills and kind of all the stuff we, we lecture patients on all the time, you really develop a confidence that, can only be learned. It can't be taught. It can't be read in a book. It can't be purchased online in a course. You learn the resiliency of the human body. You have the confidence of, I know my neck hurts right now after that rowing and handstand pushup workout on Monday, but I know probably in a couple of days, it's going to be better. And if it's not, I know a couple of things to try, um, to try and make it better before I start to catastrophize and worry that it's something serious. And when you have that confidence, that, that, exudes from you and it the patients can pick up on it and they start to learn that they're strong and resilient too they start to learn that the stuff you're giving them for homework is stuff they can use to manage future flare-ups if they ever get encountered and they start to learn that their body is strong um, they don't have to freak out anytime they encounter an injury they already know probably a couple things to do they know it, it might even clear up in a couple days without doing anything and that kind of confidence in your body goes a long way into staying out of the healthcare system versus a lot of people don't have that confidence and they encounter even a little bit of pain and they rush to the urgent care. They rush to their PCP. They rush to the emergency room. They look to get that image. They look for that shot. They look for those pills, that dose pack. And yeah. that's what we're kind of all fighting against is that unnecessary over-medicalization that costs a lot of money, ends up with a lot of unnecessary surgery. And, and sometimes in, in some cases, death of People die under anesthesia all the time. They get the wrong limb operated on and we're, we're trying to avoid that. And that all comes back to us. Of if, we're, if we're strong, confident people, it's more likely that our patients are going to pick up on that and become strong, confident people themselves if they're not already. And our beliefs matter and, and how we convey those matter a lot. We can 
influence our patients, even if we're not directly trying to with, with a really overt agenda. Yeah, no, I, 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 I just wanted to, you know, ask you about that because I think that was, uh, that's really cool. And, and I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I'm sure that get, or my listeners can tell that I'm, I'm, I'm decently biased towards, uh, I, I really, I really appreciate and, and, um, see the value in what you guys are doing, because as far as this idea of like pushing the needle, I mean, the, the more, I mean, it takes, it takes just, it doesn't take a lot of really passionate, you know, clinicians about, um, about, about being, you know, being and living the kind of the change they way they want to see in practice to, to really affect change in the people around them. And I think that that is contagious when you have people that are, uh, and obviously, you know, there's a bigger problem, you know, overall, uh, within, within some of, within aspects of the healthcare system of, of how much we are able to actually, you know, get that time with patients, uh, that, that we as physical therapists, um, or, you know, future physical therapists, uh, would really value, right. Being able to work with a patient for, for an entire hour is, you know, that, I mean, the value that can come like to, to really be able to dive into, um, some of the more psychological and emotional parts of, of the, the pain experience, the rehab experience. And obviously there are, there are, there are still things that are working against, um, you know, that for us. But I think that this idea that, uh, you know, we have some really tangible strategies and the research is, 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 is moving forward. And if we can get that message out, I mean, there's a, there is a study that came out, I think earlier this year, maybe last year that was saying that there was like almost, I think it was like a 17 year, um, uh, gap between, between like an average gap in, in healthcare, uh, you know, research from the actual research being done to making it into clinical practice guidelines or having those be best practices. And so it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a board exam here in a year. That's likely going to have multiple questions about, you know, my parameters for ultrasound. And I, and, you know, so I, I, we still see how there's definitely a lag there, but, you know, being that bridge and getting that information out to the public in real time, uh, and having a, you know, just, this, I mean, uh, it, I don't want to say new generation because right there's, but having clinicians be be actively pursuing, um, you know, best practices and current uh, research, it's hard. I mean, it is not easy yourself to to keep up with with the ever you know changing landscape of of the research. And so to have, you know, a body like ice and clinicians who are, uh, you know, really big on disseminating that information, I think is really important for the profession, as long as we do take that and, 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 you know, not change the way we practice, but be able to incorporate things that we know, um, is, is working, you know? And I think, I think a lot of folks get lost in how can I possibly keep up with all this research and how do I close down that gap of, you know, what we call like bench to bedside, the, the research bench to the, to the bedside with the patient. Um, it can be overwhelming. There's so many journals now and so many articles, like yeah. literally dozens or hundreds of di- a day of any particular topic you're interested in. And that's why, that's why we have so many free resources, Hump Day Hustling that goes out every Wednesday. We talk mm-hmm. about all the research that's come out in the past week. So just finding finding something, you know, if it's 30 minutes a week to read hump day hustling, finding something that you can fit into your schedule, um, to stay on top of things goes a long way. If you're consistent with it, if you can keep up with the five research articles that came out in the past week in 30 minutes, every week, week over week, 
then you're going a long way to kind of staying on top of what is current best practice. It's important to realize too, current best practice is always changing. Um, it's different now than it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. So trying to stay on top of it as best you can is, is how you maintain being kind of a cutting edge clinician. Yeah, absolutely. So Alan, my last, last question for you here, you know, as a clinic owner, um, and obviously someone who was in physical therapy school and, and has gone through this process, you know, what would be, um, you know, what, what would be your advice for students who are either, you know, maybe just getting started, uh, definitely some of my listeners have yet to start physical therapy school. So if you could give them some, you know, any piece of advice to, to people who are, uh, where I'm at right now, who want to be where you're at right now, um, you know, what, what, what would you tell them? Well, I would say if you're, if you're not yet in physical therapy school, I would, I would look at options like South college or some of the other hybrid programs that are emerging. Um, I don't want to say all physical therapy school is the same, but the end goal is the same, which is that you graduate with a degree and you get licensed as a physical therapist. And so um, unless you're luckily sitting on a bunch of extra money that you don't care to, to lose, I would say find a way that you can do it as cheaply as you can um, because student loans definitely stack up and they're definitely going to impact what jobs you can take. If a lot of the decisions you make after graduation about your first job are financial instead of goal oriented for your career. If you have the money when you graduate to move and and work in a clinic um, that you really want to work at that maybe you did a rotation at, that's going to profoundly change the, the impact and the direction of your career versus if you graduate and you're, all you're thinking is, my God, do I need money? I will right. take a job anywhere. I can't afford to move. I got to stay at home or something like that. Those are two different trajectories. So try to get through school as cheaply as you can. If you're in school, um, really make the most out of your clinicals. A, a lot of students just sign up for whatever list of, of clinics is given to them when it's time to sign up for clinicals. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know you or you think you want to work with somebody, reach out to them. Hey, do you take students? What does that look like? And then work with your school to get affiliations there. If you're not sure what that clinical might look like, ask to observe um, before you commit to doing a clinical there. Make sure it's for you because you're going to be paying a lot of money to the school to essentially work at that place for free for sometimes six months. And you want to make sure it's a really good fit. You don't want to show up on day one and think, Oh, I've made a huge mistake. So, so do your homework there um, and have an open mind on, on clinicals Um, be really teachable. Um, I would, I would encourage students whenever possible to find a clinical that has kind of a structured mentorship process in place we have an onboarding website for our students. We have a couple modules of, of education that we ask them to go over before they even start. And then we have time built into every week um, to work on things like thrust manipulation, dry needling, to work through cases, to go through how we screen different regions of the body. Um, I love what our CEO Jeff says, because if it doesn't get planned, it doesn't get done. So a lot of places will say you have mentorship, but if it's not built into your schedule, it's probably not going to happen. And the last thing you want to do is end up just treating somebody else's patients for free while you pay tuition to the school. So a lot of that is on you as the student to kind of do your homework. If you just kind of float through school, you're probably not going to have the best clinical experiences, which is going to kind of unfortunately um, frame at least the start of your career. Yeah, nope, absolutely. That's, that's the number one thing that I tell people that are, that are starting school is the idea that, uh, at the end of the day, you, you got to pass your board exam. That's your goal. 
there's a lot of things that, you know, you can be aware of, uh, that, uh, you can do, I think to, uh, round yourself out as much as you want to beyond your curriculum. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, like it's, sometimes it's hard to tell what that, you know, school's curriculum looks like prior to, but like you said, um, I I'm in love with South colleges, everything that they do there. I I follow them on all their social medias and I think that they have an amazing structure there. So, yeah, I mean, if you can, students, if you can find graduate teaching assistantships, uh, you know, anything, I mean, there's always a way, there is almost always a way uh, to, 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 you know, lessen that uh, burden or find ways to completely, you know, eliminate it and potentially have some really good opportunities there. So, uh, all right, Alan, well, I will, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go here, but I wanted to, to ask, you know, how can students um, or clinicians interested in maybe taking an ICE course, learning more about um, that, learning about what you're doing uh, at, with Health HQ, your clinic there, um, how can they get in touch with you? How can they find you? Uh, my, my email, the best way to get a hold of me but is by email. Uh, my email is info, I-N-F-O, at ICE, I-C-E, dot physio, P-H-Y-S-I-O. Um, you can find me personally on Instagram at Alan, A-L-A-N, dot Fred, F-R-E-D, dot D-P-T. Um, I mainly post uh, pictures of me dying after a workout and uh, photos of my wife sleeping and stuff like that. So not a lot constructive on my personal Instagram. Our, yeah. uh, the ice Instagram is very, very constructive. It's at ice physio. Um, we post three pieces of content a day, um, all clinical focused, um, all sorts of different stuff, research tips for queuing, um, anything you could think of related to your practice that comes out on our social media. Mm-hmm. Um, every Wednesday we send out a free email. Um, it's all we send one email a week on Wednesday morning. It's called hump day hustling. It has the top five articles that have come out in the past week. We kind of break down and review the key points in that email. We have the top five social media posts that we thought were cool that we, we saw collectively as a faculty over the past week. And that's basically it. There's, there's not uh, any spam. We don't reach out after that and, and ask yeah. you to buy a course or anything like that. Um, it comes out every Wednesday at 830. You can sign up for that on our website, which is ptonice.com or ice.physio, same website. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a free resource. We have a free newsletter specifically for the older adult called MMOA Digest, Modern Managing Older Adult Digest. You can sign up for that on the ICE website as well. And then we have a podcast every weekday um, called the PT on ICE Daily Show. We cover, again, every variety of clinical topic you could think of, business ownership, leadership, pregnant and postpartum athletes, fitness athletes, uh, clinical tips, leadership, older adult. All of that is on our podcast. That's called the P10 Ice Daily Show. I have a podcast just for studying for the board exam. So that's probably really relevant for, oh, wow. uh, for your audience. It's called the, the Best PT Podcast, Board Exam Study Time, BEST. It's literally me going section by section over the board exam. So for anybody that has a long drive to clinicals or something, it's a great way to pack in some studying for the, for the boards. You can get that wherever you get podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, that sort of stuff. And we have a ton of free resources and eBooks beyond all that on our website on the resources tab. So tons of great resources without even needing to spend a, a dime. Some of them are even worth CEUs. So if you're a new grad clinician on a budget, there's some ways to even get some CEUs for uh, your license renewal without spending any money on our website. Yeah, guys, he's being serious. There, there is. They are just an absolute wealth of knowledge. You can go check out their website, um, and, and stay there for hours. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, Alan. Hey, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, best of luck with everything you're doing right now, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be in touch soon. 
Thank you for having me. It's been a great time.